that I grew up in Ruston, Louisiana, which is on Interstate 20. I was ori- I'm originally from Fort Worth, Texas, which is on Interstate 20. Uh, and Meridian is on Interstate 20. I always, I've always had a special, um, felt a special kindred uh, spirit with um, people on I-20. And it, including Birmingham. I've, my, when my brother lived in Birmingham for a little while, um, I remember thinking, you know, everything, everyone on I-20 is great. So, uh, you're already ahead of the game there um, in my book. I love, I love I-20. Um, as we think this morning about God's Word and uh, the portion of His Word that we're looking at this morning, um, I want you to think with me about this statement. God... Uh, is better than you think. God is better than you think. Last uh, two semesters ago at RUF at, at Southern um, or USM or whatever you call it, uh, my mom still calls it uh, Mississippi Southern. Some of you might uh, remember it being called that. She tells her friends that that her son works at Mississippi Southern, and people don't know that that's. Some people used to call the college that. Um, maybe none of you. But as we looked at, uh, we, we spent a whole semester looking at passages throughout the Bible, um, forcing ourselves to, to begin every week by saying, God is better than you think. And, and I can say that with confidence to any of you, because if you think God is kind of grumpy and distant, um, a bit of a buzzkill, but probably real and worth paying attention to, uh, I will say to you that, that God is better than you think he is. And if you think that God is scary or not something that uh, you like to think about that much, but, but sort, there's sort of a, a cultural and societal benefit to being attached to the Christian church and our Southern culture, and so you sort of uh, like being around Christians, and so you kind of do the church thing, or you, you love the warm fuzzies of Christmas and Easter, and, and so you know that there's some value there, I can say to you that, that God is better than you think. And if you think that God is the most important thing in your life, if you daydream about God, if you feel loved by Him and you feel loved for Him, if you truly delight in His creation and in His existence, I can still say that that God is better than you think He is. I have never been to Augusta National Golf Course uh, where they hold the Masters Golf Tournament every year. Um, And it just dawned on me, also on I-20. Um... (laughs) I've watched the tournament my whole life. I've driven through Augusta, tried to peek in. I've dreamt about it, right? I've, and it may not surprise you that in, uh, you know, a middle-class white kid that wears khaki shorts to work every day, that, that it's sort of my dream to go see that and be there. But um, one thing that is always interesting to me about the Masters or the discussion of Augusta National Golf Club is this. I've never heard someone come back from experiencing something there and saying, I don't know. I mean, it was okay. Nobody ever says that. But when people come back, no matter what their expectations were, no matter how many beautiful places they have seen before, no matter how many golf tournaments or golf courses they have seen, they come back from the Masters with some form of this statement. You know, what really struck me was insert whatever. Uh, What really struck me was the colors or the grounds or the people. It was like it glowed. It was so peaceful. It was surreal. It was like walking in a cartoon or a video game. Nothing was out of place. Not a blade of grass. 
Uh, most people come away, actually, and here's what's interesting. Most people come away thinking that they noticed something special in a way that nobody else noticed it. What, what I want to be more convinced of is the reality of God's goodness, which never disappoints. I, I want to see God's word from beginning to end that, that, that pic, uh, pictures of what it means that God is, as he describes himself in Exodus, that he is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I, I want to... Um, and I know that we can say that about God. And when you get to know someone that has experienced uh, uh, salvation in such a way that they, they almost feel like there's something about the way that I've experienced God's love that I don't think anybody has ever experienced before. That's, that's who God is and who He can be for us. That's what I want us to think about this morning as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 20. I want us this morning to be thinking about um, three ideas. One, that God is better than you think. And then two questions. What happens when you miss the goodness of God? And what happens when you really feel the goodness of God? That God is better than we think. I want us to think about what happens when you miss the goodness of God and what happens when you feel the goodness of God. I want us to uh, look at Matthew chapter 20. Uh, giving attention to his word, I'll read um, verses 1 through 16. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. In the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and find, uh, found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us, who have, become, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first and the first last. Let me pray before we talk about God's Word this morning. Father, would you open our ears, soften our hearts, so that we might behold from your Word more of what it means that you love us, and more of what it means for us to follow you in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is happening in this passage this morning? Uh, Jesus is telling a parable, uh, a story to illustrate what he says the kingdom of God is like. 
Right? If you were to read the passages leading up to this, to this one in Matthew, which we do, um, sort of what we do when we study God's Word in, in our tradition. But if you read the, the, the passages leading up to it, you will see that a man has just left meeting with Jesus. He's just been with Jesus and his friends. A man who went away, who went away sad. And that almost never happens in the Bible. It's so rare in the Bible that people leave Jesus' presence sad. They either leave Jesus' presence joyfully or really mad. But it seems that they never leave sorrowful. And as the man walking away is walking away, Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, basically, Jesus, who can be saved? Because what this man had come up to, to Jesus asking was um, about being saved. And, and Jesus uh, sent him away. Sad is the story of the rich young ruler that many of you might be familiar with. He walked away because Jesus said, you know, sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. Um, Jesus had told a young man who had everything that he could not follow Jesus as he was. And this guy was young and handsome and he was successful and he was moral and he had a good reputation. Uh, He was not a creep. Uh, I I think one of the reasons that he left sad is not because he was arrogant in the way that we all sort of want to make him, uh, but because because he was... I I don't think that he was stuck up in the way that that people... um, often are, or that puts people off. This guy was the kind of guy that you want to be, the kind of guy that you want your daughters to marry, so much so that even Jesus' closest friends and followers were like, if not him, then who? And Jesus takes that opportunity to tell this story. A story about workers being chosen to work in a vineyard for the owner of an estate Right, there's places where in that culture and really probably in, in cultures around the world, even to this day, where people would gather in order to get daily work. Uh, if you remember, if you saw the movie Cinderella Man uh, about the Depression era boxer, um, not Cinderella, just saw some stirring excitement in the back, which is a great movie too. Cinderella Man is about a, a Depression era boxer who who during the Depression was having to go and get work. And so he would stand outside the loading docks and, and, and sort of hope to be chosen and often was because he was big and strong. Um, but that, uh, that's a good picture if, if you can't get a mental picture of what's going on is, is, is landowners or business owners or factory um, foremen would come out and, and find people who would come work for them just for the day. And so these able-bodied and evidently strongest workers would always be hired first, right? The people who would clearly accomplish the most and be the best value to the foreman or to the landowner, right? We see in this story, early in the morning, men were hired to work all day for a denarii, which is a day's wages. Basically, they were saying, if you'll come work for me today, I'll pay you a day's wages. These type of guys that were hired in the morning showed up. They expected to get hired almost any day. They worked hard. They were dependable. They made a living. Something set them apart from the others. They were, maybe it was their promptness that they were there at 6 a.m., that they had physical stature and strength, that they had confidence. Uh, but they were hired first thing. Then three hours later, at 9 in the morning, uh, the man comes back for more workers. They were probably those who could usually find work. Um, but maybe not the pick of the litter, but, but worth having around, especially if there was lots to be done. 
right? And then uh, in the sixth and the ninth hour or, or noon and three o'clock in the afternoon, more workers were rounded up at the same place. And they were taken to work in the vineyard. At this point, uh, depending on, you know, the amount of work in the vineyard, probably de- depending on the economy at the time, you're getting closer to just needing warm bodies, right? The, the landowner is saying, just go back. We need a few more guys to come do this. The guys that are still sitting there at three in the afternoon waiting to get hired. Maybe these were older or less physically capable people or less skilled, maybe lazy people who didn't quite get to the market in the morning when they should have. People who don't quite have it all together. Or maybe people who have been there all day but keep getting passed over. And the master hires them, right, at noon and at three o'clock in the afternoon. These are the type of people's, people who, who, who agree to work for whatever is fair. Right? You, there's no really negotiation at that point, right? If, if someone wants to hire you at 3 in the afternoon, you say, okay, you got it. They were looking to salvage the day, and then the man comes back again. He comes back just before quitting time. And he finds some people still standing around. And he says, why are you not working? They say, no one has hired us. And, and he brings them to work, probably in time to just clean up. You know? These folks have nothing to set them apart, nothing that suggests that they would be valuable member to his workforce, nothing that suggests this person will help me get to where I need to be. This person will help product productivity in my vineyard. Nothing about these people that are still there at five in the evening Nothing is is hireable about them. These are the people who have gotten to the point where they're just happy to get a ride home at the end of the day, right? They're thinking, uh, the master comes to to hire them, and they're thinking, I don't know what I could do or if I'll even get anything out of this. Maybe maybe he'll feed us at the end of the day, and, and somebody will help me get home. Probably a mixture of waning optimism, maybe some skepticism or cynicism in this little group of people. They're, they're, they're pitiful in some sense. Maybe they're absent-minded, sloppy, sometimes hopeful, but, but largely forgotten. And at the end of the day, they can probably easily diagnose why they haven't been hired yet. Right? I'm too small. I'm too old. I was too late today. I'm too weak. I'm too fearful. They're not surprised to still be in the marketplace at the end of the day. What surprises them is that that someone's coming to hire them at all. I want us to think about what happens when you miss the goodness of God. Because at this point in the story, when the the all-day workers, the all-day workers, the 6 a.m. guys, the guys who worked every day, the master shows himself to be faithful to them. He gives them what... He's going to give them. He's just and fair and he's honest and he's respectable. His business ethics are above reproach. He pays them what he agrees to pay them. He doesn't take advantage of anyone in the story. And yet, they grumble. They're disappointed. They look around and when they see others receiving something that they assumed their status meant that they would receive that much more. These workers are not surprised that they were chosen first in the morning. They knew that they were cut above. Right? It was the same certainty that, uh, that they would have been hired first thing in the morning that actually led to their surprise for the day, which was they didn't get more. They lived in a world where excellence was rewarded. 
So do we, by the way, right? They lived in a world where when you saw mediocrity and disgrace uh, given X, you expected to receive X plus some other amount, right? Sorry to give you algebra right here on Sunday morning, right? But, but if that gets this amount, I'm certain to get more. That's just the way the world works. I've always experienced that. These 6 a.m. workers miss something in this story that's easy to miss. They witness something remarkable. They witness something, I dare say, magical. These 6 a.m. workers witness grace in action. They, they saw the beauty of mercy played out before their eyes, but they couldn't see it because their internal calculators were firing on all cylinders. Right? They lived in a world where excellence is rewarded, and, and which is why they had no eyes to see what it looks like when excellence is given to someone else. They, they lived in a world where excellence was rewarded so that they could, didn't have a category to see what it looks like when, when excellence is bestowed on someone else. You may have heard it defined a million times if you grew up in the church. Grace is when you receive something that you do not deserve, right? These 11th hour workers received a wage that they did not deserve, that they had not earned. And mercy is something is when you do not receive what you do deserve. In, in so many ways, the, the, the guys who sat out in the marketplace all day without working. What they deserved was to go home empty-handed. But they got mercy because they went home with a full day's wage. The magic in this story, the, the magic is the moment when the 11th hour workers receive a full day's wage. And all of the workers and all of the hearers of the story back then and today we blow by that moment. We blow by the moment when the 11th hour workers receive the full day's wage because we, want to th- we start thinking, what's going to happen at the end? We sense the, the disparity. We sense the tension. We sense the, you know, is there a justice issue here? Like, should they have gotten more? We start putting ourselves in the story and we start to debate and empathize and philosophize. What's going to happen? We, we blow by the, this, this moment, this magical moment, when, when we miss the goodness of God. But what happens when you feel the goodness of God? If you've, if you've heard this story taught before or read it before, it's very easy to read this parable and to ask yourself, you know, with whom in this story do I identify? Right, where do I see myself? Look, we've all felt that way about something in our lives, right? If, if, it was in sco- if you're in school and it's a group project where you all do the work, uh, or excuse me, where you do all the work, but all four of you in the group get, get an A because of your hard work. And that feels like, ah, a little frustrating, right? Um, when it's your birthday, maybe when you were young or you're still young and it's your birthday and you get to invite several friends to go do something, um, to, to go, I don't know, to go bowling or to go to Chuck E. Cheese or roller skating, whatever it is you do fun for your birthday, and your younger sibling gets to bring one friend too. It's your birthday. But they get to benefit from it, and it's kind of frustrating. When you make an A on your own, but the majority of the class did really poorly, and so their grades somehow, you, you get curbed from an A up to a really good A, but they go from bad to like a B, and you think, hmm, that's kind of frustrating. Makes my A not feel so good. Or worse, when you come in prepared for a test or prepared for an evaluation at work, uh, and you're really ready and you know no one else is, uh, but for some set of circumstances, they move it back 
and you realize that now everyone's going to kind of get the opportunity to look uh, to get the same grade. Feeling that way in those situations makes sense, right? That's okay. <clears throat> but the problem is that, that sometimes it, it affects the way that we see uh, this story, which is, which is God saying, which is Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Look, and, and I want to take a, just a brief aside and say some of you have heard this story told and, and, it's, and it's sort of thought through in the sense of um, the difference between being a Christian your whole life or since you were very young or, or someone getting converted much later in life or, or like a deathbed conversion or something like that. And we read those. That, that's a bad application of this, this passage. I would say that's, that's not what this is about. The take-home point when you read the story that way is don't be jealous if you've been a Christian for a long time and there are people who get in that don't have to do all the hard stuff. I assume if you grew up in church where you, and you've struggled with the idea of late-in-life conversions, people who repent right towards the end of life, you're tempted to think, if I'd have known that was available... I would have lived my life differently, right? I might would have waited. That's not what this is about. That, that's, that's faulty reasoning. And, and let me say why. I had a very close friend of mine in, uh, in, in seminary who actually still remains one of my closest friends today. He went to a, a university and, and did what every... Uh, had the university life that every uh, 11th or 12th grade guy is thinking, that is, that's it, that's what I want to do. This guy went to college, played college athletics... Um, stopped playing college athletics because he wanted to, not because he had to. He didn't, get, he didn't like get kicked off the team or cut. He, he could have kept playing and he didn't. Uh, he was in the best fraternity and he, had, uh, he dated the prettiest girl on campus. Literally, the, the newspaper said, this is the prettiest girl on campus. That was his girlfriend. He uh, dated the prettiest girls and he uh, could drink more beer and, and, and could just do the things that, that so many people think is the college experience uh, before God br- uh, changed his heart. And he still can effortlessly, uh, he just, he's just cool. He's a cool guy. I don't mind saying that he's way cooler than me. But here's, here's the thing. When we were in seminary, someone came up to my friend and said, man, who knew him from college, and said, man, you really did it right. You really had your fun in college, and, and now you've settled down, and, and you're doing the seminary thing, and I'm so glad you're here. And my friend left that conversation. And within a, a few minutes of that was in our apartment with several of us. Um, one of the coolest guys I know is weeping. And he said, living your life thinking that the next pretty girl, the next party, that the affirmation of your peers will satisfy you is a nightmare. That was not fun. That was heartache that I might never heal from this side of heaven. And, and my friend said, I would never go back. And he said, and I grieve what my life was like back then. He wept in part over his own sin, but he also wept to know that there was someone who sees God in such a way to think, man, I wish I would have really gotten to experience that kind of junk. He said, that guy thinks that God is keeping him from something good. And, and that's not who God is. 
We have to see and feel the goodness of God in this story. In this story, Jesus tells us the 11th hour workers are paid first. I think he does that because it shows us how easily we miss the magic, right? We, we fast forward, and just like the, 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 the first hour workers start thinking, what's going to happen? Is he going to pay me more? We start doing that too, and we miss the magic of the story. Wow, this master is generous. They're thinking that. I wonder what the all-day workers are going to get. And then, they, and then we start thinking, well, if he doesn't pay them more, it's going to be kind of unfair. And we start sort of philosophizing about justice and fairness and wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? When we do that, we miss the fact that the nobodies get everything for nothing. We, we miss the magic of the story. And I think, I think Jesus tells it that way so that we do that. So that we realize how easy it is for us to miss the magic. If, if, if we were to take the story forward at that point and realize there were two groups of people that worked, left work that day. Some of them went home anxious to tell of how great a day that they had had. The amazing generosity of the master. Some of those guys were going home saying, I don't deserve anything and I'm going to get to go home today as if I'm one of those 6 a.m. guys. I get to feel like that today because of who this master is. They were excited about that. And then there was the other group of people who went home that day embarrassed, frustrated, grumbling. They were not able to take, they were mad that they weren't able to take more money home than the scrubs. Here's the thing your joy, my joy, our joy will always be proportionate to how much grace that we perceive that we have received. Our joy will always be proportionate to our perception of how much grace we have received. There's this little verse in the Old Testament that people often cite, and it's put to a tune, Micah 6.8. Some of you may have learned it at summer camp when you, were, when you were younger. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. Old Testament. To do, uh, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. To love mercy mercy. When God gets a hold of our hearts, we will love mercy. We will hear that story that we just heard. And instead of holding it up and saying, where is the justice? With whom do I identify? Uh, uh, what was really fair and who is this about? We'll hear that story and we'll say, hey, read that part again. It will be like the story from your childhood that you remember that a lot of stuff happens, but there's this one part that's your favorite. And you can remember saying, Mom, Dad, read that part again. Read me the part again where the nobodies get everything for nothing. That's my favorite part. I love that part. I don't remember the details of the story, but I know that at one point the nobodies get everything for nothing. And to identify with anyone else in the story but the nobodies is to miss the beauty of the story. It's not about how long you've been a Christian, how much work you've done, how long you can wait before joining up and still getting in. It's actually about the magical, beautiful moment in the story and the fact that there's actually hope for us. That perform the performance that matters is not achieved by setting yourself apart. It's actually bestowed upon you. It's given to you by a gracious and loving master who keeps coming back to the place where he knows he'll find broken people. And saying, come with me. Come with me. Come with me. Come be a part of what we're doing. 
He keeps going back to the place where those people who cannot help themselves are waiting. And as the 11th hour worker benefited from the grace of God and the work of another, it's the same for us. They benefited uh, from the work of the 6th hour workers in the same way that we benefit from the work of Christ. We are treated as if we have done all these things, but the truth is Christ has done them for us. That's the magic of grace. How much of our lives, how much of our lives do we spend gauging our spiritual rightness by comparing ourselves to the people that we do just a little bit better than? We drink a little less. Our language is a little cleaner. We're a little nicer than they are. We're slightly less, uh, for my college students, this is a better application probably than here. You know, I'm not as boy crazy as the other girls in my hall. We dress a little bit more modestly. Our children a little bit more better behaved. We're truer to our friendships. We don't get wrapped up in the world the way that those people do. And we, we get so wrapped up in that that when they get a better grade, when they get a better job, when they get a pay raise, when you're doing it right and their kids are behaving better, Those things crush us. It weighs heavy on us and we shake our fist at the universe and and at God. A God who's saying to us, my precious child, the kingdom of heaven is not like that. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The master of a house went out early to hire laborers for a vineyard. Your joy is always proportionate to the grace that you perceive that you have received. I I want y'all... I want all of us to work harder at whatever our hands finds to do. Ecclesiastes says that. But hear me when I say this. The work of your salvation, the work of your wholeness is done. That is what must fuel us. That's the magic that must color our, our daily experience of what it means that God is good. If you believe that God is better than you think, if you believe that He is good, you, it will allow you to read this story and see the magic. Do not buy into the way that the kingdom of this world works that says no matter where, and no matter where it's coming from, if someone is saying, get yourself together and we will accept you, get yourself together if you're going to call yourself a Christian, they've missed the magic. If you have questions about that, press into God's Word. Begin to read God's Word and talk to your pastor and ask each other and remind each other, God is good and He delights in you. I heard a preacher say this recently. How much would our lives change? If if, if we believe that the primary God's... initial primary disposition towards us if we believe that it it was a good God who who loved us dearly and deeply the announcement of the gospel the good news starts there And, and my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that my motivation for obedience to follow in faith would be driven by this idea that the work has been done on my behalf and that I get to 
to, to say, uh, God treats me as one who's done all these things by his grace because Jesus has done it for me. That's the gospel that we're invited to believe from the Bible from beginning to end. Let's pray. Father, would you uh, teach me these things? I need to believe these things. Would you press them into my heart? Would you show me the beauty of the salvation, the beauty of a love from a Savior who delights to come and find people, knowing that he will find them in brokenness, knowing that he will find them helpless, knowing that he will find them without much to offer, and bringing them into his kingdom. How would you protect me from thinking of you as someone who is withholding, as someone who uh, delights to uh, keep things from me? Keep me from seeing you as someone against whom I would grumble because I think I'm doing all the hard, hard work. Would you produce in me a heart that delights to obey? And when I find myself struggling to obey, would you produce in me a heart that runs to you with that, with that failure? That you make this better because that's what you do. Would you do that for your glory, for the good of your people? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.